Welcome to the We Talk Careers podcast brought to you by Women in ETFs. This is Christine Delano, and I'm thrilled you've joined me. Twice a month, we'll meet an amazing executive who'll share a story about her career and give us some great insight into her success. So if you are pursuing excellence in your own career or intrigued by the hustle required for a career on Wall Street, this podcast is for you. If you haven't yet, please take a moment to subscribe. Survival is essential. Success is great. But what does it mean to thrive? We've compiled the most popular and compelling advice from our guests and created a Thrive Guide with a workbook on leadership skills such as clarifying your vision and growing your influence. You can grab it at christinedelano.com. To find out more about our show and our guests, I invite you to follow me on Instagram. All these links will be in the show notes. So put aside that massive to-do list and let's get inspired. In this episode, we are welcoming back Sue Thompson. Sue joined us on episode five, talking about your brand. If you haven't listened to that one, Sue's advice on cultivating your personal brand was priceless. She stated that women are often over-mentored and under-sponsored. Based on the overwhelming response to that comment, we had to have her back to explain herself. Sue Thompson is an executive vice president at State Street Global Advisors and heads up Spider America's distribution. As she mentioned the last time we spoke on this podcast, her brand preceded her at State Street and talking to her colleagues there, she is indeed a master of fund distribution strategy and a gracious leader. Sue is married with two daughters. Her and her husband celebrated their 40th wedding anniversary in January and welcomed their first grandchild, Wes. So we are grateful Sue agreed to come back on the show and talk about your network pyramid, the role of coaches, mentors, and sponsors. She's going to guide us through how to take each one of these influencing roles and understand the impact on our careers. Welcome back, Sue, to We Talk Careers podcast. Thanks, Christine. Glad to be here. Oh, I'm so glad you came back. It was so exciting to see the response from your first episode and what you said about sort of the need for sponsorship and the fact that women can be over-mentored and under-sponsored. So I'm looking forward to this conversation. At different stages in our career, we need different types of support, right? Coaches, mentors, sponsors, they all play unique but overlapping roles. So Sue, let's dig into it. Tell us a story about discovering your network pyramid. Um, I think for me, I didn't really have a good appreciation of what a sponsor did until actually the sponsorship was almost over, if you will. And it wasn't until later in my career that I actually had an opportunity to reflect on it. Early on, when I was working at Vanguard, I had been working in the legal department, and I had participated in a, in a um, formal program that was like a, a manager development program. And afterwards, they came to me and said, hey, would you be interested in moving out of the legal department and over onto the business side? And, and I said, sure, you know, and and, um, and so I started to work as a chief of staff for a gentleman, Bill McNabb, who eventually became CEO of Vanguard. And it, and it was interesting because Vanguard had just gone through a reorganization and, and Bill was in charge of a much larger group. And I think his first words to me was, I'm, I'm not sure if this is going to work out uh, because <laughs> because I'm taking on this bigger role and, and, and I really 
you know, was thinking I might need somebody more established, but, but let's see how it goes. And, and so I, I worked for him for about 18 months and um, I learned so much. I learned how the business ran. I learned a lot about the various units. And, and that was always the intention of these chief of staff jobs was, you know, that it was, um, it was a jumping off point because they never wanted somebody to be in that position long enough to start, you know, wearing their boss's power, if you know what I'm saying. Um, mm. And so, so you, you do it for 18 months and then you land somewhere else in the business. And, and at the end of my time as his chief of staff, you know, Bill sort of asked me what I wanted to do when I grew up. And I said, I'm, I'm kind of interested in this ETF business, you know, in the, in the intermediary business, because it was an area that I found myself in my chief of staff role. There was just a huge gap in my knowledge. And he said to me, well, you know, how about being a sales manager? And I remembered thinking, I wonder if he's even looked at my resume, you know, like I've never sold a thing in my life. I don't know anything about sales management. And I, and I may have kind of said something along that line to him. <laughs> and he said, no, 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 you'll be great at it. And he sort of set out his thinking. And, um, and to me, that was, when I reflect back on it, that was probably one of the biggest instances of sponsorship that I've ever experienced because to some degree, he just took a flyer on me. He put me into a unique position in my career to do something wholly different than what I had ever done based solely upon his belief in my abilities. And to me, that is the ultimate expression of sponsorship. And I have been forever grateful to him. So if he happens to be listening, Bill, thank you again from the bottom of my heart. You changed my entire career. And to me, that's what a great sponsor can do. So, Sue, that's such a captivating story. I have so many follow-up questions. One is so interesting to me because in episode four, we talked to Janelle Jackson, and she also served as chief of staff. And I loved your line of wearing your boss's power. And so the idea that these are sort of short stints in that area. But during that time, he gets the idea of who you are. And I love his line back to you of, you'll be great at it. <laughs> you know, you have all these like, I've never done this. I don't have a background in sales. And he's like, you'll be great at it. What do you think over the course of working for him? How did he have that kind of confidence that you would be great at it? What are some of the things that you did? Or, or how did you perform for him? I think that a lot of sales is in messaging. And so there were a couple of projects that I worked on for him that was really more internally focused on what our messaging should be. What, what do we stand for? Like, how should employees be thinking about being a part of this team? And in a way, it's just a form of persuasion, right? So yeah, I think he probably looked at that. I think it's also, I think that he knew that I was very inquisitive. And I actually think, interestingly enough, I think that's one of the essential elements of sales is if you're not really honestly, truly, deeply interested in your clients, you're not going to be much of a salesperson. Um, and, and so I think there was that aspect of it as well. But, you know, strangely enough, I never asked him why. And if, if I could go back, I wish I would have asked a lot more why questions in my career <laughs> than I did. 
Right. Well, I think sometimes it can be, uh, like you said, it's, it's a bit overwhelming too, right? You know, like you're actually going to come up with reasons why you might not think you're going to be good at it. So those kind of why questions don't naturally flow when you're actually just trying to understand his perspective. So I agree, though. I mean, I think asking more why questions is often leads us to to a lot more profound insight into what's happening to us. Mm-hmm. Um, so I love this story. And I love how Bill McNabb really did become the sponsor to you, even though you didn't know that it was sort of happening to you until later, right, in, in sort of retrospect. But some of our listeners might not even really be familiar with what all these roles mean, you know, a sponsor, a mentor, a coach, they're all part of these network pyramids. But can you define them for us? Can you know, take us through each one? Yeah. So I've often heard it described this way. A coach talks to you, a mentor talks with you, and a sponsor talks about you. And, and so, you know, let's, let's break that down one by one. A coach really is there to listen to you and then to provide advice in helping you develop your skill set. And you can use a coach at any point in your career. And those coaches can be an informal relationship. But in many cases, I think some of the most effective coaching that can happen is when you actually hire somebody. And maybe your company will hire them for you. But I know plenty of women who have spent their own money to hire a coach when they know they have a development area, especially, that they haven't been able to address on their own. Um, Because I think it's somebody looking at it from a different point of view that can really give you some solid advice. A mentor, I think, advises, right? Mentoring is a behind-the-scenes relationship where you're actually... I think the ideal mentorship relationship is someone, if you're the mentee, that you look to as a mentor that you admire, that there are aspects of how they behave that you would like to emulate, that you can kind of, you know, see a path or desire a path that's very similar to what they have taken. Those, I think, can oftentimes be very strong mentoring relationships. And then- Mm. A sponsor, again, talks about you. So a sponsor basically has the ultimate expression of belief in you by being willing to put their own reputation on the line, as Bill did, right? Bill had to, in effect, persuade his direct report that she should have me on her team. And so it it is basically being an advocate, if you will. Yeah, that uh, makes a lot of sense. So can you take us through how you decide which one you need at at what point in your career, you know, what are some practical step-by-step of deciding, is it a coach? Is it a mentor? Is it a sponsor? Not that you can maybe even choose your sponsors, but knowing that you might need one. Yeah. So I think that I'm going to start with sponsors because in my personal estimation, sponsors have the single biggest impact on your career. In the ideal world, your sponsor is somewhere in your direct reporting line. That's what, in the ideal world, that's what you really want. Um, Whether that's your boss or your boss's boss, you want someone who can actually be there to advocate for you in not only in your current role, but in future roles that you might be going for. And I would say if you are in a situation where you look up your chain of command and you don't see anyone who will advocate for you, you should be asking yourself some really tough questions. 
Like, Mm. am I in the right role? Does my boss or my boss's boss, do they know what I'm doing? Is there something that I'm missing, right? Am I not as good as I think I am? Are there development areas that I need to work on? That to me is is really essential because if you sort of think, if you take a step back and say, I want to have a stellar career, what do I need? What are the components of that? One, I think you need to be in an industry that's growing. And so for those of us that are in the ETF industry, this has been you know a real blessing for many of us because the industry has grown at such a phenomenal rate over the past um, several decades. I think the second thing is, you know, you need to be at a firm where you fit in culturally, because I, I think if you aren't and you can't bring your authentic self to work, there'll always be a little bit of a mismatch. And then third, I really do think that you need that person in your reporting chain that believes in you, that is willing to go the extra mile to ensure that you're getting the development that you need. And then when the time is right, to make sure that they're advocating for you, for your next role, for your next promotion. So to me, that is what you're looking for in a sponsor. A mentor can be a lot more broad. Mentors can be both within your industry or even outside of your industry. I mean, mentorship, in my mind, is the broadest category of them all. And to me, mentorship, the people that I've looked to to be mentors, I've looked at them as mentors because they do something really well that I admire, that I would like to learn from. And I don't think that it matters whether it's male or female. I've had both male and female mentors. I think going back to sponsorship for just a moment, I think it's been tougher to find women sponsors just because we don't have as many senior women as what we need to have in this industry. So, you know, that's a challenge. And then lastly, coaching. I think coaching is a much more transactional type of relationship in that there's something very specific that you want to work on, that you can talk with your coach and say, this is the exact thing that I'm trying to solve for. Help me solve for it, please. And you might have different ones at different points in your career. Right now, I'm much more of a mentor than I am a mentee. I would say I have some sponsorship, but I'm probably at a level in my career where there's not a lot of sponsorship left. But I actively am working with a coach right now. And so so it really depends on wherever you are in your career, just assessing where you're trying to go and then thinking through those things of, is it something specific and transactional? Is it a broader sort of network, which would indicate a mentor? Or is it something up and down, up my chain of command where I need advocacy? Oh, that makes sense. Um, I remember my first coach, my company arranged it for me, and I wasn't given any choice on style. I don't know if if you are on yours, but she was pretty brutal. (laughs) And I remember it was really wrapped up in sort of media training and management. There was very specific things that she was meant to work with me on. But she would have me speak and then she would stop me and, you know, like barrage me with questions of what is your audience thinking right now? You know, why do they care about what you're speaking about? And I just remember like freezing, being like, I don't know, because that's the topic you told me to talk about. So she really rattled me. And I remember going home to my husband and, you know, he was the one who kind of reminded me my company was investing in me like they had hired her to help me. They did believe in me. It wasn't just to show that I was, you know, bad at this. And, you know, 
she ended up being tremendously helpful. You know, I think the first few days, it really was to see how resilient I could be, you know, could I think on my feet? What are the types of things that, you know, I would kind of go back to what are some of the habits I was creating? So I absolutely love the experience. Every time there was an opportunity for coaching, I always raised my hand and always was looking for that sort of transactional, but also being able to go very deep with expertise. You know, I really believe in expertise. I think people should be paid for it. And I welcome it um, in my life in in a way that, you know, sort of complements things that we've built on our own. Um, So I really, I, I couldn't speak more highly of the right type of coach, but can you help our listeners understand, you know, how they might go about getting one and how they can sort of find the right one? Because sometimes, you know, for me, I might've wanted a nicer one, but it was actually kind of good that she was as brutal as she was. Well, let me segue there for just a second, because I do think that one of the key things on whether it is a mentor relationship, a sponsor relationship, or a coach relationship is if you really want it to be maximized and you want to get the most out of it, you really do have to be mentally prepared for, to use your term, brutal feedback, Mm. particularly when you're using a coach. A coach is, at least the coach that I'm using right now, is there to help me because I haven't been able to, to help myself. So therefore, I have a blind spot. And when somebody holds up that mirror so that you can see the blind spot, it can hurt. Mm. And and it can feel really uncomfortable. But it's working through that discomfort and working through that feeling of, oh, God, you know, my imposter syndrome is now showing for the entire world to see. (laughs) Um, I feel naked. And I think when you feel that way, that's actually the very first sign of personal growth. So mm. embrace it. And as far as finding a coach, I'm a strong believer in that's where a network can really come in handy. I mean, I've met some wonderful female coaches, you know, and we've actually had a couple of sessions with some professional coaches through women in ETFs. And you can find, I think, some of those sessions on the website. And so I would, I would work your network and say, this is what I'm looking for in a coach. And what do you think? Explore with your company what kind of resources there are. Um, sometimes, you know, some very large companies have actual internal professional coaches. Some use outside services. But, you know, look to people that you admire for the things that you're trying to work on. So let's say that, let's just assume for a second that the thing that you're working on is professional presence. Find somebody that you think has amazing professional presence and see if they've ever used a professional coach. And if they have, then ask who that was. And then make sure that when you're actually hiring a coach, interview a couple of people. Don't just settle on one person Um, because it's an intimate experience and you've got to have that sense of this person I'm connecting with. I'm sad that you didn't get a chance to do that with, with yours, but I'm glad that you ended up having a good result. But in the ideal world, I think I think you should be able to interview a couple of people and then decide, you know, who feels like they're the best fit. But do challenge yourself with that. Right. Don't just because you feel comfortable with it, because, you know, their job is to get you out of your comfort zone. Right. And I think for me, that was my first one. And so it really actually helped me later with different coaches that came into my career 
because I knew how to interview them. I'm not sure I would have known what to ask for, frankly. You know, I wouldn't have known my whys at that point. Um, I wouldn't have known where my blind spots were to, to do it effectively. So it was probably good to sort of just, you know, jump into the fire on the first one. But I, I will sort of circle back to I love your advice on the network, you know, really reaching out to, to folks that have had good experiences with coaches that you admire the thing that you're going about, you know, coaches really can specialize in lots of different areas. And so finding one that really matches to your need, I think is so important. And you did mention the women in ETF sessions that are available on the website, and there's a few other links to them as well. And so I, I mentioned that we'll have a thrive guide that will take us through some of those links. So that link will be in the show note as well. So people can check that out. So thank you on the coaching. I know the mentoring, we had Michelle Mikos in episode 10. She did a fabulous job taking us the characteristics of successful mentors and mentees. There's even a worksheet available called Woman Up, Be a Great Mentor. And we have a we have a link to that. But I would love to ask you about something that we didn't really go over with Michelle was with mentoring do you feel like there's like a formal ask that goes into it? Or is there a statute of limitations for how long that mentor can stay with you? You know, how, how have you seen successful mentoring relationships in your career kind of start and end? I think the best ones have tended to start much more organically. The formal mentoring programs, to me, I haven't seen as much success with those. It, it's just, I think you either click with the person that you've been assigned to or you don't. And if you don't, and this is really advice for people that are in companies where they, where they are putting together mentoring programs, just make sure that if you're putting together a program, there's the opportunity to say, we need to switch things up because these two people did not click. I think the other thing with mentor-mentee relationships is, and, and I feel very strongly about this, is the mentee, I think, has to drive the relationship. That responsibility is on the mentee. And so if you want to get the most out of it, it's up to you as the mentee to reach out and to say, hey, I'd like to talk to you about this, you know, and then to check in on a regular basis. And I think if the mentee does that, they'll get a lot more out of it. And I think sometimes that can be a little daunting because in the typical sort of mentor-mentee relationship, not always, but in the typical one, the mentee is generally more junior than the mentor. And so they worry, like, I don't want to, I don't want to bother them, right? I don't want to be annoying. I don't want to be a nuisance. And I think you have to set that aside and understand that this person would not be engaged in wanting to mentor if they weren't committed to doing it. And so just make sure that you are driving the relationship as the mentee. And try to be clear with yourself on exactly what it is that you want to get out of the relationship. And then make sure that that expectation is realistic. I remember one mentor-mentee relationship where the mentee wanted to get promoted, but while still doing the mentee's current job. And it's like, but that job is not a VP level job. So you would have to actually change roles in order to make VP. So that, that something that basic, it, it really was difficult because the person didn't want to change their job. They liked what they were doing, but they also wanted the promotion. And it's like, th these two things don't go together. So not much a mentor can help you with. They can't, you know, they're not miracle workers. <laughs> so, right. 
So I think it's having some realistic expectations of what you're trying to get out of it. As far as is there a statute of limitations? I don't know too many mentor-mentee relationships that stay. It's more episodic, right? In that you'll go through a period of time where you might work really closely with your mentor. And then, you know, you sort of, I don't want to say take a break, but things sort of dissipate a little bit. And then something else happens in either one of your careers where you come together again. And so that's been, my experience has been, these things become a little bit more episodic where it's like a wave, if you will, of, of mentoring. And there are more intense bursts of activity followed by lulls. I think that makes a lot of sense. And I would love to just circle back a moment to that idea of the mentee sort of driving the relationship. I don't think that a lot of mentees understand that. And I also don't think that a lot of mentors explain that up front. I think that it is a good reminder for those that are mentors to give permission to the mentee and also sort of the guardrails for what that driving might look like. You know, something like, you know, I'd I'd love to make myself available to you monthly, just make sure that you're, you know, reaching out to me a couple weeks before, and we'll make sure we get it on the schedule. But you be the one to to reach out so that, you know, we continue to have this sort of monthly coffee or something. So I think you said it so well with sometimes mentees don't want to bother, but don't realize that without prodding, that mentor has got a lot of other things going on and a lot of other people that they're meeting with, and they don't mean to, to not be circling back with you, but it's going to be your role to assure that that relationship um, continues to have legs. Yeah, exactly. So when you think about this network pyramid, you know, I've just absolutely loved how we've, you know, sort of woven these sort of three sort of foundational relationships in impacting your career together. Tell us a lesson learned story, you know, kind of a mistake or gotcha moment that you've learned from that might help some of our listeners. I think for me, again, I I came into this industry, as as I just mentioned, in a really non-traditional way. You know, there's not many people that go from being a lawyer to being a sales manager. And, you know, so it was a really different path. And, And so as a result, I think there's always been this sort of um, deep-seated fear that there's a lot that I don't know. And so I'm probably overly sensitive to criticism. And and I wish I could say it was just related to this. <laughs> but if you ask my mom, she'll say I was I was like that as a kid. I you know, I just you know, I think anybody that's a bit of a perfectionist can be that way and they and and they can be particularly hard on themselves and they can be really tough when it comes to criticism. And You know, I just, um, if I could give some advice to my earlier self, I would just say, hey, you just need to woman up on this one and (laughs) take the criticism and, you know, and and understand that it's meant to help you and assume good intention and learn from it. And don't feel like just because someone's criticized you that it in any way impugns your worth. Mm. They're just trying to make you even better and I still tell myself that to this day. (laughs) (laughs) It is such good advice because we are none of us perfect. We all need coaching. We all need mentoring. We all need sponsoring. There's just no other way to do it. And you wouldn't want to. You know, this network is rich and powerful and engaging. And, you know, it, it is the right way to sort of go about something that can sometimes, you know, be a lot of work and feel isolating. So by being able to grow your network and bringing these types of people into your your career, it just can be a blessing. 
So, Sue, as I mentioned the last time we spoke, I'm a writer, and among other works, I'm finishing up a novel. It's actually set on Wall Street, and we just got back from vacation with friends and family, and while others, they occasionally read their novels on the beach and by the pool, I actually pulled out my entire printed first draft, and with my blue pen, I wrote and I scribbled and I spilled my Mai Tai, and I crumpled (laughs) it up, and it got wet on my swimsuit and all that, but it was thrilling and exciting and I loved every minute of it. And I love story. Um, I love getting lost in the crazy hustle of high finance. And I also love those nonfiction books that you just can't put down because you're just your mind is blown by by concepts. So tell us what recommendation do you have for us and for our listeners on um, a book to read? I wish I could say that this was a a fiction book. Um, I I have to confess that my fiction lately, um, I would be embarrassed to even tell you what I'm reading because it's just complete mind candy. Um, But the book that I find myself in the evenings picking up and and just coming back to over and over again that's nonfiction is Ray Dalio's new book, um, The Changing World Order. And um, Mm. it's very factually based. You can tell that he's just a deeply analytical person and and his team is as well. And so there's a lot of broad assumptions that are made and and it's sort of painting what the world order is becoming and why it's becoming that way and what underlies those changes. And it's very sobering because it doesn't paint a very stellar picture of the United States, but I can't recommend it highly enough. And and particularly, I would love to see policymakers um, in the United States and politicians, I would love to see them read it because I do think that it paints a picture of what are the bigger things that we need to do if we still want to be, you know, a leading entity, uh, a leading nation in the world. So absolutely a brilliant book. I think that does sound brilliant. I mean, you think about all the rise and falls of all the empires and all of the even democracies, and you just, you can't help but think that there's patterns that we should be looking at. So I will absolutely put Ray Dalio's Changing World Order link in our show notes. So thank you for that recommendation. And thank you so much, Sue, for giving us such great insights into the network pyramid. You have given us so much to think about. I have scribbled all over my pages, um, as I'm apt to do, but I am so excited about this. And I hope that our listeners really take a long look at this. We, we have a lot of show notes and a lot of opportunity for people to drill in to your advice and to your insights. So thank you so much, Sue, for joining us today. Thank you so much, Christine. It was a pleasure. Absolutely. And thank you, our listeners, for spending your time with us. I hope this is not just information, but you let it be transformational in how you think about your career. I'm rooting for you. To find out more about diversity, opportunity, and events in the exchange-traded fund industry, please visit womeninetfs.com. And while it lasts, be sure to grab your Thrive Guide on becoming the leader you want to be. You can download it at with a K, christinedelano.com. If you haven't subscribed to We Talk Careers podcast, please make sure you do so. And if there's a topic you'd like us to tackle, let us know. All links are in the show notes. Thank you for listening.